Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Wizards After Dark. Recording this one on a late Thursday morning. Uh, we're kind of done with most of the consequential stuff with the offseason. If Chris Paul doesn't get traded, it seems like there aren't that many more major transactions coming up. Really, all that has to happen is the Wizards have to hire a full-time GM, and then we're kind of good with all the consequential stuff, which is kind of amazing we're at this point on on July 18th, we're, we're, we're pretty much here. Uh, I'm Fred Katz. I cover the Wizards for The Athletic, and I am obviously the host of Wizards After Dark. And joining me for today's pod, on the Skype line, Dave DeFore from The Athletic. Do you, you need a sponsor for the Skype line. <laughs> Skype. Yeah. It's actually just a line. It's actually just a line. I don't even use Skype. It's just a line, but Skype sponsors it, so it's That's the Skype it. line. Presented by Microsoft. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What's up, man? Uh, rough, rough summer for the Wizards. Some might say. Some might say uh, summer in which the Wizards got significantly worse, but also did some necessary stuff. Yeah. Like I mean, some might say rough decade. Yeah. <laughs> rough four decades. They haven't run fifty games in forty years. We could uh, we could say rough four decades. Yeah, it's not great. Yeah, I mean, everyone kind of says that it's been a really bad summer for them. And, like, in some ways it has because, I mean, I don't want to say they're significantly worse. And that's just because they won, they lost 50 games last year. Like, you can't get significantly worse than 32 and 50. If you're significantly worse than 32 and 50, you're like 12 and 70. I don't think I, I, they're they're going to lose a lot of games. It's not going to be the you know 1973 76ers. They're not going to be the 2012 Bobcats. They're going to be normal bad. I could see them losing 60. Sure, yeah, I could see them losing 60. That's possible. I think that's kind of I could see them losing 60. But that's like that's like an eight eight win drop. Like that's not that big of a difference. It's just really hard. Like, it's really, really hard to get significantly worse than 50 losses. It's really hard for them to get significantly worse than they did last year. But, like, everything and, – and and even so, like, does significantly worse matter? Like, it, I guess my, my greater point is that, like, when you're at 50 losses, who cares if you get significantly worse, you know? Right. Like, they are closer now to getting good again than they were last year. And not just because – chronologically were closer. In terms of their moves, they're closer. They didn't really like they were in a really bad situation with contracts and that kind of stuff and 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 they're still in that position with, with John Wall, but Mahimi's an expiring fifteen million now and one of their goals from the summer was not to hand out contracts that could hamstring them. And they're in an okay position on that front, and they got some young players basically for free from the Lakers, and, uh, you know, they bought a second-round pick, and I just think organizationally they're in a better spot than they were, you know, five months ago or even at the start of this season. Yeah, absolutely. They're actually going to be below the cap after this season, which is crazy to think about for this team. I, I feel like they've been operating up against the cap at least, for the majority of the last four years. And well, you know what the proof good. of that is? You know what the proof of that is? Was they that? still have Ramon Sessions' cap hold on the books. <laughs> <laughs> I My one goal as a Wizards Beat reporter is I want to be the person who breaks the news. A year down the line, two years down the line, whatever it might be, I want to break the news that Ramon Sessions' cap hold has been renounced. That's all I want. I, I'm, I'm, I feel like they'll throw you a bone on that one. <laughs> you know, they take care of the guys that work hard. That's all I want. Ty Lawson's cap hold is still in the books, too. That's wild. I, it's funny because they're not on my, um, they're not on my cap sheet. So. Yeah, because it doesn't really matter. Right. It's, it's just not like, real money. Yeah. If, if you're over the cap, it's, it, every team, that has been over the cap for a number of years has that really, really random cap hold where you're like, oh, why? Yeah. But it's because if you're over the cap, it's 
front office malpractice to renounce somebody. You exactly. want to, because there are times where it's advantageous, like the Wizards this summer, where you can get under the cap, but it's advantageous to stay over the cap because you get certain exceptions if you're over the cap. Like the Wizards could use their, all those trade exceptions they have this summer because they were over the cap. If they were under, they couldn't use any of them. And they also right. got the mid-level exception on top of that. And um, I, I just love them. I love that randomness. It's so weird. When I was covering the Thunder and they renounced Derek Fisher in the summer of 2016, three years after Derek Fisher was on the Thunder, it was like the greatest moment of my career. It was phenomenal. <laughs> Derek Fisher hadn't played in the NBA for years. I think he was the coach of the Knicks that year, and they were they were, they were renouncing the capitals of the coach of the Knicks. It was just amazing. Uh, this all right. So now I'm gonna get Larry Kuhn to come on my podcast so that we can talk about the most random players that are still, uh, you know, on on teams' cap sheets. That's it. I'm stealing your idea. Oh, that would be a. I would read that story. I might be the really? only one who would read that story. Yeah, I, I mean, it's <laughs> it's sort of like the the Nando DiColo thing that comes up every year with the Raptors, which. Nando is like one of my favorite players, and so uh, you know I actually think some team that uh, could use some point guard help should have thrown some money at him. But uh, yeah, I mean the fact that they they continue to offer a qualifying offer every year, <laughs> it's, it's amazing. That is that is great. This is the nerdiest start to any podcast ever. How many of my listeners have any idea what we're talking about? Well, come on. They all listen to Dunked On, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah it's true. If, if, if you're listening to, to Niche Wizards podcasts, mm-hmm. you probably are able to identify to a to a uh, Ramon Sessions cap hold. <laughs> you're able to throw something onto that. I mean, listen, hey, you got to take those victories where you can find them. And, and having Ramon Sessions cap hold on your books, that's a victory for the Wizards. It, it's one of like 20 they're going to have this year. R- Ramon's Sessions would be a great name for an NBA podcast, by the way. Um, yeah, so we don't need any more player podcasts, though. See, that, that's now, now you're getting on, on my turf. That's on my corner. I need I, these players to stop podcasting. Some of the player podcasts are really good. Really? I wouldn't know. I, I'm not going to listen. JJ Reddix is really good. Um, yeah, I, again, man, that's just – I don't know, man. I wish these guys – now I'm going to get into a content rant. Do it. Do but it. Do everyone it. feels like they have to create content, and they just don't. Like, it's not a, like the, the, this branding exercise where everyone has to have a podcast. we got to do a documentary. we got to blah, 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 blah. I mean, you don't. Like, some of them are bad at it. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's true. But some of them aren't. Sure. Richard I, Jefferson I actually, was, was – him and uh, – him and Channing Fry were quite good. Yeah. I don't know. I, I never listened to that show. Quite entertaining. I'm, I'm going Jefferson's like old man yelling at Cloud here. Yeah, you are. I am. I really am. I'm, I'm out on the player podcast. Wow. We're starting. Out on it. We're starting as a full curmudgeon. <laughs> I'm, you're, 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 you're ranting about uh, podcasts that we're competitive with. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I'm talking about. Ty Lawson's cap hold. Hey, old, old man yells at iTunes. That's that's. Let's start that podcast. That that is this podcast. It's just old man yells on iTunes. That's all it is. That's it. That's it. Uh, uh, yeah, but man, I'm out on that. Give give me uh, you know, not I don't. I, it's not this. It's not that I'm trying to say stick to basketball, but uh, you know, hey, you got enough money. How about that? We're trying, we're trying to take our money. Uh, let's talk Rui, because that's what, it's like the number one thing I wanted to chat with you about, because I know you were at Summer League for a long time. Yeah. Um, I what are your impressions about one game of yeah. Rui? What are your and impressions it was, a good, it was a good one. Which one did you see? I saw him against the Hawks. Okay. What was, yeah. uh, what are your impressions? Well, I, the, the defense isn't there at Summer League. Right. It just it wasn't there. Um, so I'm worried about that against real NBA players. But I did think on the offensive end, he, he seemed to be a pretty smart cutter. Now, I want to qualify this by saying I have watched next to zero Rui tape from college. 
because it's just it, like I've only I've read about him, I've talked to people about him, and I've watched maybe five minutes of film on him just because I, I don't know. I didn't think I didn't think it was really worth diving in. It, it, he's kind of a known quantity to draft people, so I can trust their opinion. He's not like an unknown guy. Um, but the game I watched against the Hawks, I, I, I thought. His feel for the game on the offensive end was pretty good. The, the shot is troublesome. It's very flat, although he did make a few. But it's really flat, and against NBA, you know, length, I think that's gonna he's gonna struggle with that. But uh, yeah, I mean, he you know he looked like a rookie. Uh, yes, he looked like a rookie. That was kind of my number one takeaway too. Which except for his body, like he's built, like he he's actually yeah. built. For, with an NBA body, and that's, I mean, he, he's, I got, mean, the that's the he's right. got the body I to play the four. He's got the body to play the four for sure. Yeah, yeah. I don't think he, there's any way he's a three. I just can't imagine him. I can't imagine him defending on the wings, especially. Right. Uh, also, if you play him at the three, he probably has to have a little bit more playmaking for others, and I, mm-hmm. I don't even really need him to worry about that. Like, I think he's going to have to do that as a four. If people talk right. about. I think our verbiage, ver, verbiage. Verbiage, verbiage, verbiage. I don't know. Verbiage. I think it's our word usage. (laughs) I just write things. I don't say them. There you go. Uh, There you go. Yeah, I think our terminology. There we go. Behind what we talk about with the evolution of the game, I think it's lagged behind what's actually happened now. So people talk about like, oh, you need a stretch four, and some people even say like, oh, you need a stretch five now, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, it's taken an evolution beyond just stretch. Oh yeah, fours. You need fours a, are you need a playmaker. playmaking fours, right? And and we're going to get to a point, by the way, where you need a playmaking five. Like that's. I think we're happen. already there. We're already there. I don't know if you it, need a playmaking five. I think you're at a point where it helps a lot to have a playmaking five. But like the Bucks don't have a playmaking five, and the Warriors. I mean, never <laughs> yeah, but Brook Lopez is their playmaking five. Giannis sure, is their but, playmaking four. Yeah, but when Giannis plays the five, he's their playmaking five. It's like yeah. Draymond, right? Like Draymond sure. at the five, the reason why it was so devastating is because you had this amazing playmaker. And not just his defense, which was, you know, otherworldly, but also you had this playmaker at the five. I mean, it's just huge to have have multiple guys on the court that can do something with the basketball, in particular in a spot where the other team can't guard you. You know, so if you've got weak point of attack defense and you've got like Steph Curry, that's an amazing advantage. Mm-hmm. Well, so the reason I bring that up is because, so you think we're already there? I think we're getting there. I don't think I, I, think I don't the think good we're teams quite are there. there. I think the good yeah. teams are there. Yeah, but but I'm talking about league wide. Like right now, league wide, good teams, bad teams, they have stretch force. Good teams, bad teams, they have playmaking force. Like, that's that's a thing. You can go to a 37-win team, and there is a playmaking four on that roster, you know? there's a, or, or, or a small four or whatever on that roster who can either do that stuff or pretend to do that stuff. Because in 1998, if you were born 20 years earlier, he would have been a two or a three and not a four. Right. Um, and now we just call them fours. Like, Scottie Pippen for sure would be a four and play some small ball five. Yeah, yeah. Scottie Pippen would have been a four. He just would have been like, I mean, he would have been Draymond. Yeah. He would have been a switchy switchy four. I wonder if Rui might be able to play some small ball five. I mean, obviously his defense limitations, you know, his his lack of feel on the defensive end, from what I understand, would, uh, you know, kind of prohibit him from being very good at it. But, you know, if if he can... If he can get coached up the way a lot of people around the league think he can, I, I, like overwhelming. I, I don't know if you got the same impression from talking to people, but front offices really liked Rui, whereas like the internet draft guys, who I think a lot of which are very very good, did not like him. But I know a lot of teams had him really high on their board, and they feel like because he hasn't been playing very long, he's got more growth potential than the average 21-year-old. You know what I wonder? I wonder if Pascal Siakam didn't exist, because so many people have said that to me. I wonder, or if Pascal Siakam wasn't good, I wonder if people would say all that about Rui. Because I don't, 
I never really heard that as as much of an emphatic positive as right. I do now. And I wonder if the reason, whether consciously or subconsciously, if the reason why I always hear that in every conversation about Rui and Tommy Shepard has said it on the record, oh, we think it's a huge positive that he didn't start playing till late so we can mold him into the player that we want him to be and his ceiling is much higher than your average 21-year-old who's been playing since they were seven years old. Tommy Shepard has, has said that on the record. And everybody around the league who I talk about Rui with mentions that, at least in the conversation. And I wonder whether consciously or subconsciously if that has anything to do with the fact that we just saw Pascal Siakam be the second best player on a championship team and win most improved player. And the entire narrative behind him is, well, he didn't start playing until he was, you know, 43 years old. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's got to be something, right? This is how the league works. I mean, we talk all the time about it being a, a copycat league. I wonder if it, the mentality is also being copied a little bit. And, and by the way, I'm a, I'm a guy that thinks that players can continue to get better throughout their entire career. I, I think DeMar DeRozan is a good example of that, where he actually gets better at something every single summer. Like He comes back and something's better. Like one year, like I remember maybe after his third year, he uh, just decided that he needed a left hand, and he came back the next year, and he could actually use his left hand to do stuff. So I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not. Yeah, podcast competitor JJ Redick is the same way. Yeah, yeah. Every year he, JJ he Redick should, is better. JJ Redick's like should, 33, and every single year for the last like seven years, he's been coming off the best year of his career. Yeah, he should work on getting getting even better and not podcasting. That's what I need. <laughs> like JJ. Listen, you, I know you're shooting 45% from three, but what if I told you 50% is better? You just got to quit podcasting. I think he was. Wasn't he 50 one year? Maybe. he was like maybe. 48 or 49 one year with the Clippers. By the way, that podcast is going to get ridiculous guests this year because New Orleans is stacked. Yeah. They're fun guys, right? Yeah, that's true. Oh, man. I hate everything. No, I like what New Orleans is doing. I do, too. <laughs> They, David Griffin had, a good had an amazing summer. Yeah, David Griffin had a great summer, and not even just from the players. Stealing, stealing trainers from the Suns, and oh yeah, Trajan Langdon, and he had a plan. Yeah, and see, this is the issue I've got with the Wizards. Like, what's the plan? Hope you can move John Wall. Hope you can get an Anthony Davis-like haul for Bradley Beal when you eventually trade him. Which, by the way, the time to trade. Bradley Beal is coming up because he's gonna he's got maximum value right now. He's still got two years left on that deal. Yes, it is coming but up. But he's your only and, good player. And you can use the Davis trade and the Paul George trade. Even though the Paul George trade had irreplicable traits, you can use in negotiations those mm-hmm. trades as your baseline. You can say, I understand that Paul George they were they were really trading for Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. Here's what they got for Paul George, and here's what I want for Bradley Beal. And you can do that in negotiations because trades always have baselines, especially with star players. You got this guy for this guy. Well, here's a similar guy. I want a similar thing. That sets now, – now sometimes there are aberrations, but they always enter the conversation during negotiations. Uh, the one thing that I will say, very, very hard to show a very clear plan when you're taking over a team in the – standings that they were in the um, cap situation they were in, in the roster situation they were in, in the fact that they had basically the entire team that was a free agent, and the only guys who were free agents were high-paid guys who will not play next year, uh, except for Beal, of course. And it is very hard to show off a plan and a direction, something I've written many times, when you actively choose to have an interim GM for the draft and all free agency. That that yeah. that makes things very difficult. Even even if, you know, signs point to Tommy Shepard being being their GM. He ran the draft, he ran free agency, at least for the upcoming year. I think Tommy Shepard is going to be their GM. Uh yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if that became official soon. Uh but as of now, they still have an interim GM running stuff. And when you have interim in front of a title, 
it is by definition less stable. <laughs> and your organization is by definition kind of uh, you're not going to have that long-term outlook that you're going to have if you have somebody who who's under contract and, and everybody is certain that that person is going to be under contract for a, a significant period of time, you know? Yeah. And by the way, the interim tag is on everyone in the front office and coaching staff because that's how it works. So you, you've got you've got everyone there that's kind of in a lame duck situation. Yeah, no, it's true. It's very true, and it's and it's uh, it's a thing. And and trust me, I'm not the only person in the NBA who's made this point. Anyone in the league will tell you they would rather have a permanent GM than an interim one through free agency and through the draft. That that is that is that's a, wow that's shocking. I'm really surprised that. I mean, look, it, it's not like the reason that I bring this up and I say it like this is because the Wizards chose to have an interim throughout that period, you know. And mm-hmm. and this is not a knock on Tommy Shepard at all. By the way, I actually think Tommy Shepard was dealt a, a very difficult hand between the situation Absolutely. he was in as an interim and the situation he had with, with the roster that was handed to him, the free agency and contracts, the you know, things that were handed to him. And I think he's made some some savvy moves. Uh, he he got Davis Bertans basically for hey, free. That's a great move. Davis Bertans and CJ Miles, I think, are both good pickups for them. Yeah, the, he he kind of slithered his way into the Anthony Davis deal and got Mo Wagner and Isaac Bonga and Jamario Jones and an unprotected 2022 second rounder for cash considerations, for the smallest amount of cash considerations that yeah. you can send, just because they had created these uh, uh, these open trade exceptions and they, they had a bunch of them. And, like, that's a great move. I don't care if Isaac Bonga ends up being useless and Mo Wagner ends up never living up to being a first-round pick. Whatever. Low-risk moves on extremely low-salary players on rookie contracts uh, – and you still get an unprotected 20. It, even if those guys end up doing nothing with their NBA careers and are out of the league at the end of their contracts, you still got an unprotected 2022 second rounder for free. And that's the high school draft potentially. So you just got that potentially for free. That's pretty good. And then you ended up turning it into a pick swap in the Sadoransky move. Uh, I will say I think the Sadoransky move was probably met with the most skepticism of any move they made this summer. A lot of people around the league, I think, kind of wondered why they didn't match on that. That was pretty market value for Sadoransky, given that Dylan Wright got a very similar deal. Tyus Jones got a very similar deal. Corey Joseph actually got more, but I think Sacramento has just been intentionally overpaying because they know they have to give out money to get people right. to go to Sacramento. They did the same thing with Trevor Ariza, did the same thing with uh, Dwayne Dedman. Those mm-hmm. guys are, you know, Dwayne Dedman's a good player, but I don't think people thought he was getting three for 41, but he got that to go to Sacramento. Um, I I think people were a little surprised about them not matching on Sadoransky, but like, I was surprised. Yeah, I was too. I, I thought if that I thought he was gonna get ten million a year. And I kinda thought that uh, if they if they got that offer they would end up matching. Not just because they needed a point guard, but because you don't need to use a cap tool to bring back Sadoransky. So they were over the cap. Because they let Sadoransky walk, they had to use their mid-level exception to sign Ish Smith. And Ish Smith had to be their starting point guard. Um, now they don't have the mid-level exception to use elsewhere. If you bring back Sadoransky, you still have your mid-level exception. You have your starting point guard. And you can use your mid-level exception on whatever you want. You don't have to do it because you need to sign somebody to be a competent starting point guard for you who actually yeah. has experience playing NBA point guard. So so that's kind of the number one reason why I thought that they would they would match up to what I bet. They didn't deem it to be a, a, a reasonable price. And they just – they didn't. They Their number one thing for this summer is they don't want to give out a contract that they think is going to end up being a bad one. And right. they disagreed with popular opinion. And I don't think they thought it was a bad one, but I think they thought that it had, for whatever reason, had a chance of becoming a bad one and a high enough chance that they just said, you know what, we're not we're not going to match on this. Let's turn it into a sign-in trade. Yeah, and I mean, what's sad about it is Sadoransky, Beal, Miles, 
Bertans and Thomas Bryant isn't an awful starting five, especially in the East. But not having Sedaransky and having, you know, Ish Smith, who I like coming off the bench, uh, that that's a big downgrade. Yeah, it is, especially defensively. I mean, that's right. that's where it is. It's that. So I think they have a chance. Not necessarily predicting it to happen, because that would be an insane prediction. But like, there is a chance they could have a worse defense than the Cavs. Like, I don't know, man. I, I don't. I, I think that the Cavs defense was especially bad. I mean, with the youth, right? Sure. Uh, well, I don't know. Thomas Bryant is pretty I mean, bad. So the Wizards last year gave up about 113 points per 100 possessions, which is horrible. It's the fifth worst figure in the NBA over the last 20 years. That is very bad. Let's do the math. That's 600 teams. Out of 600 teams, well, I guess a little bit less because the the Bobcats weren't around until 02. Out of 595 teams, they ranked 590th in defensive efficiency. Okay? Uh, okay. Now, NBA offense is rising. But that is not very good. Uh, they lost Thomas Sadoransky, Trevor Ariza. They won't have half a season of Otto Porter because he's gone now. The best defender on this team who stands to be in the rotation, if Mo Wagner is their backup center, meaning that Mahimi's not in the rotation, right. which my guess is, at least off the bat, that's going to be the case and should be the case because they want to develop their young guys. Like, right. You, Development year. Right. You bring it. You got a 22-year-old center who you liked in the draft who was a first-round pick you know, 15 months ago. You give that guy minutes, period. Like, of course, he should be the backup center. But that means Mahimi's not in the rotation, which means that who's your, who's your best defender in your rotation? C.J. Miles? Deal? Yeah. I mean, here's the thing. It's not CJ. Well, I, love I think CJ, but it isn't CJ. I not think, unless he's going to play the four. I think it is CJ. Because, oh, man. Well, because if you think about it, so Bradley Beal is your defender with the best tools. Right. But over the course of, a four, of 48 minutes in a, in a January game against the Pistons, Bradley Beal is not giving you anything close to a net positive. Like, Bradley Beal, at the end of a game, you need a stop. The last three minutes, you need stops in a close game. Bradley Beal can do stuff because he's good on the ball and plays hard when at those moments and that kind of stuff. But but players like that, for the most part, who have that offensive burden, burden have the same tendencies that Brad does, which is falls asleep off the ball. The effort, at least last year, the effort is not often there. Now, he was much better – defensively two years ago, I thought. But last year, he had to take on such a ginormous offensive burden that you got to rest somehow, and that was where he rests, which is the most normal place to rest. Uh, he's going to have even more of an offensive burden this upcoming season. I don't anticipate the defense stuff will, will get even better. Uh, and so over the course of 48 minutes, who makes the most positive impact on defense in that rotation? Because... It's not Ish Smith. It's not Isaiah Thomas. Uh, it's not Thomas Bryant. It's, I mean, you could really say Davis Bertans because he at least has a little bit of versatility. Like the Spurs yeah. use him to chase guys around screens and stuff, but that's your best defender. I mean, that's a that's a defense that could give up 116 points per 100. I think. I think we could see that. I think it's. I think that's that's within the realm of possibility. Like they gave up one thirteen last year, and they're certainly not better defensively than they were last year. Unless that, Troy Brown, unless Troy Brown just become turns into like a Sadoransky like defender, where he's an excellent team defender and all that. But that that could happen at some point in his life because his basketball IQ is super super high. Uh, but he's still nineteen years old. To ask that of a nineteen year old is just not realistic or fair. Hmm. Yeah, uh, you know, Bertans is, uh, he's a much better athlete than people expect because, you know, he's from Europe. And so they just think that those guys aren't athletes. So yeah, him, him running around screens, he's, he's okay at it. I don't know if I'd want him doing that, you know, 30 minutes a game. 
oh man, that's bleak. That's extremely bleak. That's that's it. They're going to be the worst defense in the league. I, you've now convinced me. Right? Like it's <laughs> it's really rough. I I'm not so sure they have a firmly they like they don't have a firmly above average defender in their rotation. Yeah. God, that's awful. Yeah, it's going to be rough. It's it, defensively, Man. it's going to be rough. Well, you're going to have a fun year. <laughs> I think I think they're going to there there are going to be times where they score because Bradley. Oh, Beal I think is, they can score. Bradley yeah. Beal is really good, and and you know what? Thomas Bryant's a really good offensive center. Absolutely, yeah. The, the, the Bradley Beal, a good offensive player. Yeah, uh, Bertans can. I mean, he's one of the best three point shooters in the league. C.J. Miles obviously can shoot. Um, the one spot that they're missing some shooting would be a, at the one. Right, right. So. But you know what? Like, Beal, Beal run, is going to run stuff anyway. He's going to run so much. Oh, of yeah. He's but having a so guy of off ball who can't shoot is going to make it more difficult for Beal. For sure. It's going to clog up the spacing. And, yeah. and Beal, Beal is going to get – he's not – people talk about Bradley Beal got trapped all of last year, and yeah. that's true. It's not really my concern for Bradley Beal this year. My concern is that it's even more aggressive. I think Bradley Beal can beat traps. Bradley Beal actually got legitimately good to the at at, at beating traps to the point where like, fine trap Bradley Beal on a on a Beal Thomas Bryant pick and roll. Beal's gonna find Thomas Bryant. Like you know, and when Thomas Bryant has the ball with a head of steam going to the rim, like Thomas Bryant is probably going to score. He's very good at that. You know who'd be great there next to Bradley Beal? Who? Nando DiColo. <laughs> <laughs> Bring back Ramon Sessions. Yeah. I mean, just anybody who, who could shoot. Do that. <laughs> well, Sessions can't shoot, but, man, that cap, I know. Yeah. That cap hold. Oh, man. I, they just, I don't know, man. Like, it's tough because there's just not a lot of guys out there that can shoot that weren't getting paid. Right. And so, you know, you're kind of you're handcuffed a little bit because you don't want to give out, you know, longer contracts and, and I so I get it, but man. But yeah, I mean that's that's part of what I was talking about with Sadaransky, right? Like one of the reasons why, even if you think it's a slight overpay, is you bring you bring him back, you still have the mid level exception. You can then use the MLE to go get a shooter. You know, you can use the MLE to go get a wing. You can use the MLE to go right. get somebody else. Now, I will make a bleak defense of it, uh, which is, does it really matter? That's my kind of nihilistic wizard's view right now. Like, yeah, you need a competent point guard to make sure that your young bigs like Wagner and Thomas Bryant, who's still only 21, uh, to make sure that your your young bigs are able to get the ball because Thomas Bryant's a very good offensive center, but he's an off ball center. He's you know he's a he's a great roller and he's he's going to be a three point shooter and all that, but he's an off ball guy, and you need a competent point guard who can get him the ball. And you, Ish Smith is a competent point guard. He he was a very very good backup point guard in Detroit last year. Uh, he's competent enough to do that, and obviously so is Bradley Beal, and so you have that. And if that's just your goal, it's like, does it matter how good you are? Do the Wizards care if they win? And this is kind of what I was leading off the podcast with, so I'm really taking a full circle. If you lose 50 last year, do you care if you lose 57 this year with Thomas Sadoransky or lose 61 without Thomas Sadoransky? Like, does that make a passionate difference to your organization if you believe there is an X chance that contract ends up badly because if you don't really care about the difference then there is only risk in that and there's no reward right mhm so so i think that is and i genuinely believe that is a that is a fair defense it just really depends on how much organizationally you want to lean into the fact that hey at this point it really doesn't matter if we pick up four wins because we're so far away from four wins mattering right but you don't think that there's there was an outside chance they could sneak into the playoffs if they had brought back Sadoransky? 
No. I no, mean, no it, chance. I mean, the defense, I, it's, the, it wouldn't solve the defense, but the offense would be better. The offense would be better, but I just And in the I, East, I in the regular it. season, you know, like 40 wins might get to the playoffs? I, I, don't, I don't see it. Hmm. I mean, look, they had them last year, and they lost 50. That's true. That's a good point. But they didn't have C.J. Miles and Davis Bertans. Yeah, but they had, you know, Jabari was good for them off the bench. They had Otto Porter for 50 games or 40 yeah. games or whatever it was. Um, you know, I think I think Bobby Portis wasn't great for them. But they had Jeff Green had a really nice year off the bench with 61% true shooting and, and kind of fell off a cliff at the end of the year. But for the first 60 games or so was a legitimately good seventh or eighth man. Like, had a had a good year in that respect. Uh, they had guys, you know, they lost Trevor Ariza, who I didn't think was good for them after coming over last year. He didn't shoot the ball very well, and his, his defense was not at the levels it was in Houston. And I theorize at least part of that was because he was no longer playing for a team, a 65-win team anymore. Uh, and there was just a bad defensive culture around that team last year. Uh, but at the same time, like, I think they probably downgraded from Trevor Ariza. Uh, they've got a lot of young guys, and they want to move in the direction of playing young guys. Like, that's their goal. They want to play Wagner. They want to play Troy Brown, who they think is going to be a really solid player. Uh, you know, they want to – I don't think they want – they don't want to start Rui right off the bat because they don't want to throw him in the deep end, but they want to play him. I think they want to give – Bonga a chance, although that chance might come at, with, with the go-go, uh, unless he like really, really performs there. Uh, I, I just I think their organizational goals are are making sure that they are. I think they know with Wall Hart, it's just a lost season. I think right. their organizational goals are. I know I shouldn't say I think I know their organizational goals are. Let's work with John all year to make sure that he is as comfortable as possible and that his rehab goes as well as possible. There is absolutely no rush and no pressure to come back at any point this year. If he doesn't come back ever, that is completely fine. We're preparing for the 2020-21 season when we hope if all goes right with John's Achilles that you got John Wall there. As of now, you got Bradley Beal there, and they still, to my estimation, have no intention right now of trading Bradley Beal, and that can always change because people change their minds, but right now it hasn't. Um, they're going to offer him that extension in eight days. Uh, and you got John Wall, hopefully, who can contribute. Bradley Beal, they like Rui, obviously. They like Troy Brown, obviously. They like Wagner, obviously. And then you might have some some cap room to play with next summer with with a bunch of other guys coming off the books, and you might have you know you know you might have another really high pick coming in next year, and all of a sudden it's like oh you got a semblance of a roster that can be pretty solid if John Wall is anywhere close to what he was before, which who the heck knows, but they're hoping that will be the case. Uh, I don't know if they're predicting, but they're hoping. That, that will be the case, and uh, and then you got a team that might be able to get up to forty, and you can make a jump from twenty to forty wins in a single season in that situation. But I think that's what they're playing for. I don't think they really care that much about what happens this year because I think Tommy Shepard is is aware that twenty two versus twenty six wins doesn't really do anything for you. Uh, yeah, no, I mean it, it serves no purpose whatsoever. And it'd be a good idea to get those young guys that you just mentioned more time. See if, you know, what Rui can do. I actually would just start Rui. I, I think that that bring him along slowly thing, I, I don't know how much sense that makes. Um, I know it's kind of an old school idea. But, I, I mean, I would just throw him out there and let him, let him go. Um, development usually isn't happening on the on the court anyway. But with Bonga, it makes a lot of sense to have him in the G League. I don't think he's an NBA player. He would just get, you know, he would not be able to do anything out there. Um, yeah, he's so raw. Right. Yeah. I mean, if he if he hits, it's incredible. <laughs> you know. Yeah, but, I uh, think I he's I, so far away. Yeah. No, I added. He's going to be with the Go Go. I think. Yeah, I I think that that makes the most sense. Um, yeah, I, it's going to be you know it's going to be a rough season I think for them. 
but it's going to be even rougher if they trade Beal. I I don't think they should trade Beal. I think the whole point of tanking is to get a guy like Beal, and they're going to be able to offer him a supermax contract, and you can just keep him and build around him. I mean, he's what twenty five. Yeah, just turned twenty six. Yeah, it's 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 not it's not the John Wall situation. And you know, but getting off that wall contract is going to be hard, if that's you know, in the cards. I don't think they're going to move him this year. No, I don't think you can. Yeah, impossible. Yeah. Well, just, let's not say impossible. I mean, moving, the Rockets did just move Chris Paul. Yeah. Well, here's the thing: moving Chris Paul took two first round picks, two pick yeah. swaps, and people don't really talk about it this way because Russell Westbrook is still, you know, an All NBA player. But people around the league viewed that Russ contract as a net negative. Yeah, it's the third worst contract and in the league. So, and so taking on that Russ contract is – you know what? I don't agree. I would rather have Russ than Wiggins. Uh, I'm a hmm. – I think I'm in, I'm I think a I'm in the minority believer. on that. People say they'd rather have Wiggins than Russ. No, I don't think you are. I think I think you're in line with a lot of people. I I just I think my, my I think there's a good process, player in there. Yeah, my thought process is just simple on this. Like, yeah, Russ's contract is a lot more expensive than Wiggins's, but like Russ is still really good. And sometimes when a guy is overpaid, we just change the narrative on this. And this is what I'm getting with with Chris Paul, which is that like, so Chris Paul got traded, but it took two first round picks, two pick swaps, and somebody taking on Russ's contract, which was viewed as a net negative. So that's a lot that you have to add as sweeteners in order just to trade Chris Paul. Chris Paul is still good. People talk about Chris Paul like Chris Paul is terrible. Chris Paul is on the downswing of his career. Chris Paul struggles to get by people off the dribble now. He is nowhere close to what he was at the end of his time with the Clippers. He was nowhere close this year to what he was his first year with Houston. All that being said, Chris Paul is still good. He's not very good, but he's not terrible. He's still good. No. He still knows no. how to run an offense. He's still an incredible prodder in the pick and roll. He still shoots really well. Like Chris Paul is still a good point guard. He's just right. a vastly overpaid point guard on a very expensive contract. Right. Uh, that that context, by the way, gets lost. And I think this is um, – this is a side effect of us talking so much about contracts and we, we lose sight of the actual basketball court. So it's certainly he's, he is overpaid for his production, but on a basketball court, he still does stuff to help you win. I I think the Rockets for, for the way that their system operates, I I think it was a kind of a step back. We'll see how it works out because I do think Russ is a better player right now, but it's more about fit. Um, but yeah, Chris Paul is still he can still contribute. Right. His defense was good, by the way, the second half of last season. Once he got healthy, once that hamstring started to heal, he was a good defender last year. I mean, he is prime. Chris Paul was just an unreal defender. Prime Chris yeah. Paul was the best defensive point guard in the league. And when he, he still guarded knows all Kevin those Durant. tricks. Do you remember this when he was uh, guarding 20, Kevin Durant? Twenty fourteen game. Four, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, game four of the Western Conference semis. Yeah, that was the fourth quarter of that game, and Kevin Durant was posting him up in the mid-post that whole time. Yeah. Just and an insane just like, performance. He couldn't back him down. He kept shooting 14 to 18-foot fadeaways, and the Clippers made a comeback in the fourth quarter. They were sending doubles at Durant in the post, and, and Durant was rattled. He had like three turnovers in that quarter. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, is your building on fire? Is that what's happening? <laughs> no, there's a fire truck going on outside though. I have a very professional non-soundproof studio that I work out of. So Man, you got to you got to get I've got these sound deadening curtains. Mm. Makes all the difference when my neighbors are mowing the lawn. Yeah, see, I'm just they're, at my not... I'm just at my brother's apartment, so this, oh, this okay. podcast never had any hope at all. Anyway, <laughs> bringing it back to my original point, yeah. which I've now made like 6 minutes too long. Chris Paul is good, and it still took all that to trade him. Right. Not only is he good, now let's make Chris Paul's contract basically the same contract, but he's got an extra year on top of what he has now. And Chris Paul just tore his Achilles. Right. 
that's where we're at with John. That's why I say, yeah, you can trade Chris Paul, but that doesn't mean that you're going to be able to trade John Wall. Now, in a year, John Wall comes back, and all of a sudden, John Wall, maybe he's not averaging his career numbers. Maybe he's not averaging 20 and 8, but he comes back, and he's, uh, you know, a 15 and 7, and he's changed the way he plays. Because I think a lot of the things, and I've said this on this podcast a number of times, if you listen regularly, you know this. You people do not realize, and I don't blame them because I didn't know it till I got to know John Wall. John Wall is a savant man. Like you can't tell from the way that he plays. And there are some people, some players in the NBA who you watch them play, and you're like, that guy just kind of does what he wants to do. And like Russell Westbrook's a guy like that who I covered, mm-hmm. and I know. And you talk basketball with Russ, and that's that's just kind of what Russ does. There's some guys that you watch and you think that, and then you talk the game with them, and you're like, oh my god, your basketball knowledge, even for an NBA basketball player, is unreal. And John Wall is an encyclopedia, the way he sees everything. And I'll I'll talk to him, uh, both you know, with a recorder in his face, and when we're just chatting about basketball, about you made this decision, and I'll think it was you know a time where he shot it where Otto was open in the corner and he will recall the exact play to me and tell me where every defender was and tell me how every guy was being covered and say like, no, here's why I did it. There is a reason for John Wall playing the way that he plays, that he backs up with actual basketball X's nose. John Wall knows the game unbelievably well. And so I actually give John Wall, even though I don't think habitually because it's just so hard to change your habits. And I don't even know if he wants to change his habits. And I don't know if he will ever change. But I do think he is intellectually capable of changing. He sees this stuff. He knows what's there. And if he comes back and he does change, and he's averaging 15 and 7, yeah, then you can trade John Wall. Yeah. Uh, but right now, like, no one even knows how the Achilles is going to go. There are people who have had major Achilles injuries to his degree, and they've never even come back. So that's And he's already dealt happen. with a complication. Yeah, so that's just not going to happen. Not right now. Anyway, that's my 12 minutes on John Wall. Yeah, I, you know, I, I actually think John Wall doesn't get credit for, for what he does for the offense. Like, the way that he creates assists... I mean, he, you know, we all know that he was like super fast coming into the league, but he actually uses that speed to open things up for guys. I mean, he gets guys guys paid just by how open they are shooting corner threes, uh, and that has a lot of value. I mean, it's sort of like Russ. You know, we talk a lot about Russ and his stat padding, but he actually generates a lot of assists just individually, and there's value to that. So, yeah, I, I think he's going to be fine when he comes back. As long as he has a normal recovery, I don't think we're going to see much of a difference. I mean, Rudy, I watched Rudy Gay 41 games here live in San Antonio last year. And, I mean, his athleticism doesn't look any different. He's so explosive. So, you know, I think that they've gotten better at the Achilles thing. At least I hope. Yeah, it would be such a shame if that weren't the case, right? Yeah, I mean, it's a bummer. We just got to, like... Find a way to protect these Achilles, because that's probably the most devastating feeling one. Um, you know, the ACL is so common now that we just kind of assume everybody's coming back, even when they don't half the time. Um, but the Achilles one just feels—it feels so much worse. Yeah, I know. It's really rough. It's a really depressing injury. It really is. Uh, anything else? We just podcast for a really long time. Uh. No, I think that, I think that's about it. It's going to be a depressing season. Uh, Bradley Beal's really good, and Rui is to me an unknown quantity. That that kind of sums up <laughs> what, what we just talked about. Rui's going to be interesting. I'm going to have a piece next week up on the Athletic about his uh, about his shooting uh, and kind of the evolution of his shot, how it was at Gonzaga and why the Wizards believe he's going to be able to take threes and all of some some fun analysis and, and uh, 
and and some fun anecdotes in there as well. That's going to be up. It was originally going to run tomorrow, uh, but yeah. now it's actually going to run uh, next week. We also up on the athletic from yesterday, from Wednesday, July seventeenth. I have a co-byline story with Sam Vecini, but really Sam wrote the vast majority of it with me just asking Sam a number of questions about the Wizards' young guys and Sam just writing like a damn maniac. And it is a must-read, I think, for Smart Wizards move fans. by you. Oh, yeah, Smart for move. sure. I always I like it. to outsource my work. <laughs> exactly. Right. I, get, I get credit on the byline, and, and Sam does most of the stuff. And Sam's just Perfect. a maniac. He's so good at his job. Uh, and so just if you want to learn more about the Wizards' young guys, and uh, that's Rui, that's Troy Brown, that's Wagner, that's Bonga, that's Jamario Jones, and a bunch of guys. Sam is just, he's the best, in my opinion, he's the best prospect analyst out there. He's just the best guy in the industry, and we are very lucky that we have him, and I love using him as a resource for that kind of stuff. Uh, he's just, he's great. His, the, the, his knowledge of the game, his knowledge of these of these players, uh, both who they are as people and who they are as players is is unmatched. It's just amazing. He's great at it. So uh, you should check that out. Anything uh, you got to plug before we go? People can follow you on Twitter. Uh, yeah, uh, find me on Twitter at Dave Dufort NBA, where things are not nearly as bleak usually. Um, and then you know, obviously the back to back podcast over at the Athletic, and you know some other stuff. I do a Monday Q and A. Got some other stuff in the works. All right. Well, yeah. Dave, Dave hosts some host nerd, nerder she wrote over in nerder the, she wrote over yeah. in the athletic, uh, which is uh, one of our our few NBA podcasts, which you can check out over there. Uh, subscribe to Wizards After Dark while you're looking yeah. at podcasts on iTunes. Give us five stars. Leave a leave a nice review at the end, but uh, only five stars. Only five stars. By law, that's all you're allowed to do. If you don't have something nice to say, then don't say it, which is a rule that is no longer applicable in this country. Uh, I'll be I'll be back uh, sometime next week. Like I say at the end of every episode, like I have said at the end of every single episode for like 15 and a half straight weeks, if there's a GM hire, I'll do a podcast. Otherwise, I'll see you next week. I'll talk to you guys then.